Right, let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 22 where we left off last week. We're going through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, thought by thought, word by word, Sunday mornings. And uh, so many of you have asked me, and let me just let the cat out of the bag for those who don't realize that it is. Uh, I am now an uncle. How about them apples? Yeah? Um, I actually have a picture that I could show you. Everybody in the back, you see that? So uh, I thought about throwing it up on the screen, but I was like, you know, everybody's glad, but that may be a little much. It's like, let's worship Jesus. My nephew is awesome. So, uh, but it, it was great. Born the day after uh, Labor Day, and his first name is Micah. It's a good biblical prophet name. And the middle name, Jordan, after our brother Jordan, who passed away a few years ago from cancer. Obviously, the last name, Robinson. And I was able to, uh, those of you who have flown a little bit, you know, you can get things called uh, air miles. And you know, sometimes if you ever try to use your frequent flyer miles, you have to use that like on a fourth leap year on February the 49th, you know, at an 8 a.m., whatever. And, but I, I actually went through, so I was able to fly out on Thursday and come back last night. I'll tell you what, I am, I am, you know, once again, a rare breed, single pastor who's never been married. And so obviously I've never been in the birthing room. Um, and I was not in the birthing room, just to put that out there. I saw the product of what happened in the the birthing room and just just in there when i walked in i was like wow and i know for some of y'all you got grandkids you're like yes this is such child's play but man i, I picked up that little guy and put him down i was like okay okay and but first they're gonna hand it to him like let me go wash so i'm like washing my whole arms you know like full body wash right there i don't want to give him any germs and so i get him like perfectly positioned like okay i don't want to hurt this guy but then i begin to look at him and he's a little human you ever see that with babies? Like you're seeing them up close like that. It's like, no way. And he's got the little, you know, fingers and his, his toes. I don't know. Can maybe get, if he, the next Michael Phelps, his foot's like as big as mine. You're like, oh my word. He's just got these long toes. And it's like, you know, it's like a, a man, but, but he's perfectly proportioned, but he's just mini. Just miniature size. And, and man, I, I looked, I looked at this guy and I was holding him and I just thought, man, what an amazing miracle birth is. Right? I mean, you've been around and you just see the miracle of that. And I don't, I know this is a Sunday morning crowd. And I don't want to go too deep, especially for some of our mothers that don't want to relive that time. But I looked over at Cassidy and I said, Cassidy, you did a good job. You know, almost felt like, you know, Rocky, Adrian, you did good, you know, because she, I'm like, you carried this guy around for nine months and then we're going to just drop this out there and move on. He had to make an exit somehow, somewhere. And that, that to me, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to be that guys, you, we should respect mothers. Amen, ladies. I mean, just, I'm like, what? It just, unbelievable miracle, unbelievable miracle from God. And I'll make a serious point, and we'll make a by way of application to what we're going to talk about this morning. There are two very distinct philosophies right now, and I'm going to use the P word, in politics in America in regard to unborn human life. One philosophy would say that if he was born, 
I'm just going to put it out there. The president believes and voted for in the Illinois State Senate that if he had been attempted, an attempted abortion, but he was born anyway alive, that it would not be a crime to allow him just to expire there and not offer medical help. There is another philosophy in the U.S. right now that most of us are aware of that says that the only time that that's a human life is when the head exits the mother, known as partial birth abortion, which means that you could take all of the child out except for the head and you can insert an instrument and to the head and take the child's life. There's another philosophy that's along the same lines that says that if the child is in the mother, then there is no true personhood, therefore no rights, therefore abortion on demand. Um, I'm asking the Lord to give me wisdom how to handle this as a pastor, but I just want to put this out here this morning. I'm not giving endorsement for a political party or against But when people tell us as Christians that our quote-unquote religion shouldn't have anything to play in how we make decisions in our life, that should cause all of us to see that if our quote-unquote religion forward slash faith has any value at all. Let that sink in. When When someone tells you that these things that you believe about Jesus Christ, about the Word of God, which by the way are supported by science now, we know that there is life. It's not just a blob. It is a person. It's a human. Human DNA. When someone tells you that that aspect of your life, which should be for us as believers, all of our life, should not play any, should not have any bearing on how we make decisions, what they're really telling you is that your faith in Jesus Christ is pretty much a joke. It's kind of like those sci-fi conventions people go to. And they enjoy Star Wars. I'm not trying to make fun of... I'm seriously not of Star Wars or Star Trek. They go to those conventions and they have fun enjoying the story that doesn't have a corresponding reality. In the same way, when someone tells you that your faith in Jesus Christ in the Bible should not play any role in how you make decisions, what they're really telling you is that Jesus is not real. And I believe, and if you guys want to vote me out, that's your prerogative, but I believe that every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ should, and we all have a moral duty to stand up for unborn children because they can't stand up for themselves. Okay? That's what I believe. Now, now let me say this and then, then we'll, we'll move on. For ladies who have had abortions, for men who have told their wives or girlfriends to get abortions. My mom works in a crisis pregnancy center. And there is forgiveness. There is grace from Jesus Christ. There is biblical counseling that you can get for those issues. So please let none of us misunderstand what's being said here. We are not saying that we are better than people who have had an abortion or who are still confused upon that issue. What we are saying is we have a duty to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And if someone has done that before, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And when you are forgiven by Jesus Christ, yes, we all have baggage, but it is only Jesus Christ who can help you deal with the baggage in the proper way. 
Alright? So, Philippians chapter 1. Last week we ended on verse 21. This is something that most of us are familiar with. I love this verse. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, to stick on um, the area of your car that you can see, if you're at a stoplight, write it down, Philippians 1.21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul saying, every aspect of my life is dedicated to Jesus in some way. Notice verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Let's stop right here. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that I am in prison chained between two guards. There is the desire for me to go and be with Jesus. We covered this last week. He's not suicidal, alright? He's weighing the options of if I'm with Jesus, I'm with the one who loves me, but I'm also with everything that I've put before, right? I've dedicated my life to be with Jesus, so if I die, I'm with Him, but I also want to stay here and help out believers. Notice verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. This is like he's saying, I'm between a rock and a hard place. My desire to depart is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Notice back there in verse number 23, he says it's to depart to be with Christ is far better. Alright? Now, most of us are Americans. Most of us once in a while get to do something fun. Okay? We have... TVs that we can go home and watch. If I'm going to refrain from making a Redskins joke, but I heard a rumor that they're going to be playing day. You can go do that if you desire to. And then you can go watch other teams like the New Orleans Saints and the Cowboys when they come on, which are more God-glorifying things that you can do with your time. And uh, y'all laughed. No hymnals thrown yet. Okay, we're getting sanctified. That's good. But there are things that we can do. We can go to the lake. We can hang out with friends. We can go ride in cars. And if we don't have a cool car, maybe some of our friends do. We can go to the Blue Ridge Parkway. We can go to the beach. We can hang out with family. We have the ability to cook and to grill out. Strip all that away. And you're in prison. And you know you're entering the fourth quarter of your life. At that point, we may say, like the Apostle Paul, to depart and be with Christ is better. But let's stop. Could it be in our affluent American culture, even though we have a difficult economy, could it be in our American culture, all of the fun things that we get to do from time to time, could it be that sometimes those things And if I can get really application-oriented here, a lazy boy at home, can I get a witness? Right? When you go home and you get to relax in your relaxation area, or when you get to lay down on your bed at night and you've got it broken in at just the right place so that your neck will stay there. And it's just, if you strip all of those things away that we enjoy and that give us like a drive for life, Maybe it's better that we do take a step back in our mind and we say, you know what, all of these things, when we have them, it's still not as good as being with 
Jesus. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says, you know what, if I'm with Jesus, I'm with Him, but it is still good for me to stay here, so it's better for your account. In other words, for us as believers, the reason why God allows us to stay alive, this is, this is, this is like a, a mind change. The reason why we didn't die in our sleep last night, if you're saved, is because God is allowing us to have more time to impact people for Jesus. That's the bottom level reasoning why we continue to live. Now, if you're not saved, God has given you another day, another night, another moment to repent, which means to turn away from your sin and place all your faith in Jesus so that you don't die and stand before Him and justly He gives you your sentence, which is eternal hell. Okay? A lot of times churches, we don't preach on that because we don't like to make people feel awkward, right? That kind of like uncomfortable Sunday morning. You ever been to that? Like that awkward, uncomfortable Sunday morning experience like, whoa, that's hard stuff. And you're looking around like, are people leaving yet? But if we love people, we have to tell them the truth, right? You guys on the same page with me? Like, give give an example. If you've ever, I'm going to be very, very careful here. If you've ever tried to buy a new or a used vehicle, and you've gone to someone who's selling it private, or you go to a dealership, has anyone here ever found that sometimes they don't give you all of the facts? Uh, it's, it's just a possibility that some of us may have been there, you know, and then when you look underneath the hood, you see a different life of that vehicle than what has been described to you. And then you leave angry at that person, and then not trusting other people. We don't want to be like that as Christians. We want to be so straight up and honest that people say, you know what, that is a tough saying, like the apostles, or the disciples said of Jesus. Man, that is a hard saying, but they knew that it was the truth. So, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to hop in verses 27. That's So, we we just did that. That's, that's what happened last week. So, we're about to get into the sermon. Y'all okay this morning? Alright, okay. We just don't want to let anything out. We want to take it in context. What we're going to do now, we're going to take verses 27 through 30, and I'm just going to explain the context, and then if uh, our OCD friends are already freaking out because we've not filled in one of the blanks on the outline, we're going to explain this passage, and then we're going to come back and look at seven ways that we can apply it. Alright? So if, you, if you're OCD, you already got the answers there on the key, you can go ahead and knock it in. So let's go to verse uh, 27. So here's what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, now, right here, there's already a play on words that, that's going on. We know that Philippi was a Roman colony, and most of the people that lived there were involved in the Roman army at some time and on some level. He uses the word, so let's go back to our Western Civ classes, and some of y'all are like, please, please don't make me do that. When we went back to our Western Civ classes, we know that in the Greek city-states, the city was called a like a polis, okay? But like a city, city-state. What the Apostle Paul does here, and I know that everybody came here this morning to hear exegetical insights from the Greek New Testament, right? You know, you're just going to write that down. So, here's what he's doing. He uses the Greek word for city, and he turns that into a middle voice verb. Amen? Right? Okay. Here's what, here's what's actually going on. What he is saying is let your citizenship, what does he say? Worthy of the what? The gospel of Christ. 
He's saying, let your faith in Jesus Christ, let your manner of life, let what you do and why you do it, connect with the gospel. And he's using a political metaphor to these people who many of them had been in wars for Rome. Okay, I'm unabashedly a person who enjoys a good war movie. My mom says there are no good war movies. I mean, Winnie the Pooh, it stresses her out, right? When they're there in Pooh land trying to find like the magic honeycomb that drips down and she's like, is it going to find it? Just freaking out. Like, I enjoy action. And man, I, it just gets me... Uh, it, it, just seeing the, the acting of like Saving Private Ryan or, or Braveheart or some of these great epics to where you have these soldiers that are, that are going together and they're dying for a cause and they're winning and they're destroying evil. I'm like, yes, that's just what appeals to me. And I told you guys a while back, one of my pastor friends who listens to my messages and, and he gives me helpful feedback on that, um, which the Bible says in Proverbs, a, a wise man takes correction. But um, a fool keeps going and suffers harm. So he said, dude, like all your illustrations are about like war and like victories and like everybody dies in your stories. You need, to, you need to get married and have some kids and like tell stories that are nice, like make people feel better. But think about this. All right. You're in Philippi. There's a military background, military culture. And the Apostle Paul uses this word to say, make sure that your lives as believers conform. Check it out. Not to Roman honor, not to simply honor the Roman code to where you do not retreat. Make sure that your code of honor comes from Christ. Now, I, I would like to, to make another, and I, I really don't know how this sermon is going to end out as far as people being offended, but I was trying to keep up with the, um, the what's going on in the political world, and uh, many of us know that... Um, in the, the democratic platform, uh, the words, uh, all references to God were taken out, which the head of the party knew that. And then they, they, they caught a lot of heat in the media. And so during the convention, um, the mayor of Los Angeles, who was the chair, tried to get the word God-given and that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel put back in. And I, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just a, a little ignorant, but um, I thought that the nose had it. Okay? And, and they did it three times. If, if you are for amending the platform, allowing the word God-given, because there is no reference to God at all in the platform, which is the European Union, Right? Some of us know that the European Union, they eradicated every reference to God. That means if you're in the European Union, your government does not acknowledge God in any shape or form. Okay, And then to have some people say, yes, we want to amend the platform and allow the word God in. And then the resounding, the, the no, just made me think there's a lot of people in the U.S. that think that you can have a culture that can work together when you don't acknowledge God in any form. Let me just put this out there. If you have Christians in a society and they answer to Jesus Christ alone, don't you think that those Christians, if they really study their Bible and they really talk to Jesus and they realize Jesus is courageous, don't you think that they're going to be good soldiers? 
Jesus Christ, the most courageous man of all time. Think about ethics. Think about crime. If you study your Bible, you find things like work with your own two hands so that you will be able to have something to share with those in need. If Christians truly study the Bible and follow Jesus, they're going to be better citizens, right? The, the, the honesty level is going to go up. You're going to have people who have a higher form of ethics. So the Apostle Paul is saying that people can define their ethics by whatever they want, but as for you, you need to define your ethics by Jesus Christ. Uh, make a note here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. The same idea is also used. Um, it says, but our citizenship, here's the word, here's the concept, our citizenship is in heaven, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what the Apostle Paul is saying, what the Bible is teaching us, is that we as followers of Jesus are to uh, have our ethics, have our mode of living come from the Gospel. From Christ, from the Word of God. Now, is the Constitution good? I think it's a great document. But ultimately, our honor and the way we live doesn't come from the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. It comes from the Word of God. Notice he says here in verse 27, only let your manner of life. If you have the King James Version, it translates that word, let your conversation. The idea here is that your whole manner of life. Let me give you several references. Number one, in Romans chapter 16, verse 2. Bible says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. So here's what this means when you read verse 27 when it says your manner of life. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So hospitality has to do with it. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Also, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Catch this, verse 10. And so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And here's what it is. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Apostle Paul says, no matter what people tell you you should act like, You should conform your actions to the gospel, and the gospel is nothing more than a demonstration of who Jesus is. You ever seen parents with kids in public trying to control the kids' behavior? It's kind of entertaining, isn't it? Unless those are your kids, right? Right? There's a family who came to visit my brother and sister-in-law in the hospital, and they had two boys. One was about seven, one was about four. And it was, it was like, just like me and my brother Josh, it was like, that's us. And you could just see, after a few minutes, and they were just waiting, and you could see just the tension building the parents. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yes, yes, absolutely. Trying to like keep it under control. And it's so interesting when we think back to when we were kids, when our parents tried to get us to act proper, right? It's like, you know, we're in the middle of the aisle at Kroger 
Stop beating your brother with the box of chocolate, right? Like, that's not good. That's not for here. Don't do that. And parents, and I saw a lady in the, in the, in the store the other day, and, uh, and she had this, this, the kid in the, in the basket. She was pushing the kid in the basket. The other kid comes up, Mom! And she goes, oh. Just like that, like that mom exertion of frustration. I was like, I don't feel your pain, but I see your pain. You know what I mean? So, but, but what the Bible is telling us is we should conform it to Jesus Christ. And notice also, you have the idea here in verse 27 of striving with one mind. Notice he says, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, check this out, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is very interesting because the idea here is teamwork. And we have entered into football season. I was waiting for amens, but since I didn't know how much somebody, like, I don't know, Sunday morning, we are now in football season. And I think the idea of a football team, there's so, right, there's so many people. You know, when you got a, I don't know, even if they do that, like a chess team come out, I mean, what do they do? Like, what do they, like, like, they point to their brain, like, you can't handle this, like, that's chess people smack talk. But like, when they come out, they, they come through and they've got the cheerleaders that are holding that banner, and the guys just bust through it. And I always enjoy, I'm, this once again goes to my, uh, not totally sanctified sense of humor, but watching some of those when the guys fall, right? Like when they try to go through and they're acting like I'm the man and they, they, they fall and then it's just very, very awkward because everybody in the stadium and then you're going to be that guy on YouTube that just has like two million views. Football player falls, right? And everybody, everybody watches it. But when you've got a football team, you've got a coach, right? You've got your assistant coaches and then you've got everyone is in charge of every job. It's so interesting to me that One of the metaphors for the church, once again, that's not the building, that's you and I, if we've been saved, is a body. Paul talks about the body of Christ and about how we all have a role. In Sunday school, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. And it's so amazing that you can have, like take this for example, you can have one person and they are so good at something. Like let's say that they're that they're really, really good at finances. They can take a church budget, they can change it around, they can find money here, here, put it in missions and whatnot. But then you take that person and put them in a hospital room setting and say, someone's sick, I need you to go visit them. They... they that they don't know. I mean, it, it, they have no clue. Like the first time I ever had to go see somebody in the hospital was an older man that had helped me as a teenager, and he had built me potato guns. And I had no y'all. Have you ever been there? You go see somebody at the hospital. They're about to go into surgery. You have no idea what to say at all. And I, I shouldn't have said anything. It's good. Don't if you have that feeling. You don't want to say. Just say I love you. You know what I said? My hand just went up, and I said, "Nice knowing you." And, and even at 16, I realized that that was probably not the best thing to say as they wheeled Mr. Kenneth off to heart surgery. And Lord have mercy. But for example, you can take someone who's very good at something, but then put them in a different environment and they don't know what to do. It's not the way God has wired them. Then you can take someone who is so sweet. I mean, you just put them on someone who's been hurting and they will encourage that person and build them up. Then if you take that same person and put them on an organization team, it may just not work. So Paul is saying that whatever God has gifted you with, 
And by the way, if you're saved, God has given you a spiritual gift. Alright? God does not have any bench warmers. God does not have an extra class over here that doesn't do anything. God has given all of us gifts. So he's saying that you strive side by side. Now, I love this here in verse 28. He says, and not frightened by anything in anything by your opponents. Check this out. This is so hardcore. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You know what Paul's saying? Is that those people who come to you and they tell you that you need to back down from being a follower of Jesus Christ. In the first century, the Roman Empire that tried to destroy it, he's saying that the destroyer will be destroyed. That's what he's saying. He's saying that those kings and those tyrants and let's say the Islamic Republic of Iran that wants to eradicate Christianity put you in jail if you become a Christian. Put you in jail if you share about being a Christian with other people. The Word of God is not bound. It cannot be broken. And throughout the centuries, you find insignificant people who do not have money, who do not have degrees, but God has used them to undermine great empires. Do you know how Rome really fell from its pagan edifice? It fell because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said just a few verses before that even in his lifetime, there were already believers in Caesar's household. Let that sink in. From a little insignificant area of the Roman Empire, Palestine, Jerusalem. For us as Christians, it's a very important area. For them, they didn't care. This Jewish carpenter had lived, had raised people from the dead, had done all sorts of miracles, and then he died. And then the story goes that he was raised from the dead. And his followers went out all over the Roman Empire so that within about 30 years... You had gone from a persecuted ethnic minority group, and within that group, the people were of very low stature, all the way to Caesar's household. And now, 2,000 years later, there's people all over the world who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So how do we put this into practice? You say, well, Jeff, that's great. Paul was in prison. I probably will never be in prison for my faith in Jesus Christ. We don't know. It's probable that we're not. But once again, we don't know. But let's let's look in our context what how we unbreak this and break it down. Number one, how we live with allegiance to Jesus Christ above all else. This is in your notes. We should every day consistently evaluate whether our lives match the gospel. That means that when we get up in the morning, when we're going to our businesses and schools, when we're interacting with our family, we should have the prayer, God, would you search me? Actually, write down this reference, if you will, if you're taking notes. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. We should say this as David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If y'all are like me, you get busy sometimes. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? You you just get B-U-S-Y. You get busy and we don't take the time to say, God, I've been so busy this week, I've not taken time for me to ask you to show me if there's anything in my life that should not be there. 
Take time to do that. Number two, spend quality time with Christ followers or, or true Christians who are dedicated to the gospel. You see, the assumption here in this passage is that Christians would be doing life together. You say, Jeff, I, I, I'm, I'm new to church or I've been here for a while. I don't know if I have that many close friendships. Here's the way that you remedy that. And this, this communicates well, especially in the South. You find someone that you'd like to invest in or you'd like, you find someone that you think that you can learn a lot from and you invite them over for dinner. Seriously, hospitality is a great, great, great thing in the New Testament. It's actually elevated as being one of the honorable ways that you show Jesus Christ. Ask people over, or if you say, Jeff, if I ask them over and I cook for them, they may die because my cooking has been registered by Janet Napolitano as a possible national health risk. I mean, I just cannot cook at all. Bring them out to eat. Ask them to go do something with you. I encourage each and every one of you, no matter where you are with Jesus, to invest time with people who love Jesus. Okay? Make that a priority. Uh, Number three. Don't break rank with those dedicated or fellowship with those who are dedicated to the gospel. Don't do it. Um, I've told you guys about the power team before. They're that group of Christian guys who come in and they they smash bricks and they take uh, hot water balloons and they blow them up and the balloons explode. I know this is totally all the ladies are like, yes, that's awesome, right? It's, I mean, most of the time it's it's. Dudes who in the late girls like, oh goodness, they're destroying things, right? And go watch the guys. And, and so what they also do, they take uh, frying pans and they roll them up like tacos. They bend steel bars. What I did not know the first time I watched the power team, and you get these guys up here with three uh, stacks of bricks and they'll break one with each arm, one in the middle with their head, is that they do something... But you really can't see if they're on the back. I know this may ruin. Some of you guys may have like that faded power team poster hanging in your room from like 1994, John Jacobs and the power team. But this is this is real. So they would put something called spacers in between the bricks. A spacer is a very small steel or a little wooden piece that it gives just enough separation between the bricks that when you hit the top one, it can break and then the force will carry down through the rest of the bricks. And if you do not put spacers in concrete block after concrete block, it is virtually humanly impossible unless your wolverine and your body structure has been replaced with adamantium, like that unbreakable metal. If you're a normal human being, it's almost impossible to break the bricks. And I thought about that. I said, you know what? What Paul is trying to warn us as believers of is things that would come in that would divide us. Y'all tracking with me on this? Just little things that would come in and divide us in your marriage, in your family, and us as a church. Just small, quote-unquote, things that would put separation between us. And then when the pressure comes, we realize why did everything crack and break? Bible is telling us don't break fellowship. That's why he says strive together with each other. Uh, also, uh, the next would be pool your resources with those who are dedicated to the gospel. When we pool our resources, we can do more together than we can separated. Um, next would be do not be intimidated by those who oppose you. John chapter 15, verse 20. Jesus says that if they hated me, they will what? They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. So if they did that to me, they will 
come to you. And also, if you'll write down this reference, especially students, if you're living for Jesus on high school, middle school, college campus, Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That means that if we try to be Mr. and Ms. Popular and we never speak up on difficult things, sure, everybody's going to like somebody who never talks about the difficult stuff, but Jesus says, woe unto you. So that means that when people tell you a spit... And by the way, if you are a senior citizen or if you're, you have a few years on you, I encourage you, some of you have children, grandchildren, it is so difficult for the students today to live for Jesus where just a generation ago when you went to public school, they had what in the morning? Prayer. In whose name most of the time? Yeah, you could pray. It wasn't a problem to pray in Jesus' name. Now, they want to put it further and further aside. So let's encourage and tell our students, do not be intimidated by them. Amen? Let's support them. Because often when they come to church, they have been beat up on or they have been intimidated by people all week long who don't want them to live for Christ. Second to last, never forget the depths of your own sin and even deeper, the depths of God's grace. And finally, never forget that suffering for Christ is an honor and not a curse. Notice there in verse number 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now... Here I still have. Bible's saying right here that when we suffer for the for the gospel, when we endure things that may be difficult, that it is an honor and it is not a curse. It is an honor and not a curse. I've told you guys this so many times, but I hope that it sinks in. My best uh, friend outside of my blood brothers, and he is he. Would, guess what he was before Jesus found him. Some of y'all know he was a drug dealer. Okay? Carried a Ruger P89. Jesus saved him. Okay? And now he's a pastor and now he has a young daughter all because of the grace of Jesus. And you don't think it's difficult to come out of that lifestyle? You know what? Let's just be honest. It's impossible. Let's close this way. Just to be honest, if you're hooked on things, you've got substance dependency, it is impossible. You can change your behavior. But what the world wants to tell you, y'all don't put your purses up and stuff yet. Let's keep tracking, alright? Some of y'all are trying to fend it off, okay? The world wants to tell us that our behavior is all that matters and if you change your life, that's what matters. What ultimately matters when we come to death's door is whether our heart has been changed and whether we've been born again. And here's the cool thing. When you truly get saved and you give your life to Jesus Christ, not only do you get born again, you get joy, you get forgiveness, you get salvation, but He gives you the ability to stop all that stuff that you otherwise would spend all of your time and energy and money trying to change yourself. When you come to Jesus, He changes everything. And then we can say to live as Christ and to die as gang.